Good morning. It is my privilege this morning to open God's Word with you. And I enjoy so much preaching at a church that loves the Word of God and loves Jesus Christ. And your testimony goes out from here to many places. Uh, we reside down in San Diego, but I get to listen to your pastor on the radio. And so I know that you love the Word of God and you expect to open it this morning. So let's turn to Acts chapter 4. That's where we're going to land. Before I get there, though, it's great to be in a church that is supporting world missions. Wow. It's, that was a wonderful... I'm just sitting here going, okay, that's, let's just pray and close. And everybody in the audience always says, nah, he's not really going to do that. No, I've got some time to preach this morning. But it's marvelous to hear what you are doing around the world. And Whitefields has the wonderful privilege to support national pastors serving alongside missionaries in countries where they can go out and live in a village in their own culture, in the stick and mud house in Africa or in a wood shack in, in Myanmar that's in a closed access country that's in the middle of a civil war. American missionaries, my friends, had to come home because of the dangers and the, the uh, State Department saying you need to evacuate. Our national pastors stay and they keep working and they keep preaching. In, in countries like Japan, and a part of the reason uh, I'm thrilled to be here this morning is you are focusing on missions. And, and so I want to bring us back to the beginning of the missionary movement in the book of Acts. And you realize that we in America are living in a hostile environment to Christianity, aren't we? You do not have to look very deep in the news to realize that more and more people, not just on a low level of uh, street corners, but in the highest levels of government, actually hate Christians. They call what we're doing evil. They think that they're trying to protect people from a Christian who wants to share with them the message that we've been singing about this morning, that God is the creator of the world. That's true, isn't it? I was talking with my grandson who, when he was about five years old, he's, he's getting older now. I have to remember, the grandkids grow up fast. But when he was about five, he was sitting with me one day, and he and his dad had been out working in uh, different museums that they'd been visiting. And my little five-year-old grandson says, Grandpa, did you know there are people in the world that don't believe in God? Oh, really? Is that, he goes, yeah, we were at some museums. And my dad was reading the things, and, and I realized that there are people that, 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 that they don't believe in God. And then he looked at me, and he goes, but I know God is there. Really, I want to hear from a five-year-old. I said, how do you know that? He said, well, Grandpa, you just look at the sun and the moon and the stars. There's no way they could all be in place if God didn't put them there and keep them there. Oh, I said, I think your dad's been reading Psalm 19 to you, right? We even sang that this morning, that the heavens declare the glory of God. And yet, surrounding us, there are people that believe we've got to stop that message from being taught or shared or, or presented. We have to realize in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that he says, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. We are in those last days. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloved. Sound like America? 
irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and the list goes on. We are moving into a post-Christian environment and culture in America. We have been accustomed, though, for many years, those of us, uh, congratulations to the people that have been married 64 years. What a blessing. My wife and I celebrate 42. Her mom and dad, still living, celebrated 67 last week. Amen to that. It's not easy. It's, it's hard work on my wife's part, not on mine. It's easy for me. But other countries have lived as Christians under persecution from the very beginning of their faith. I, I serve in five different regions of the world right now, and one of those is Japan. I've, I've had dinner with Joe and Tara in Tokyo before when they were there teaching. But you know, in Japan, it's like Satan created the perfect apex of how to keep people from becoming Christians. It's, 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 it's an, an environment that makes it horrible for them to make that faith, step of faith and become a Christian. For one thing, a, a Christian cannot have the shrine of the family in their home. That's where all the ancestors reside. And, and so the Christian says, well, mom, dad, I can't, I can't take that shrine and put it in my home. And their parents are like, what, you don't like grandmas and grandpas and your ancestors that have gone before you? Well, no, I, I'm going to believe in Jesus. He's my only God. I don't want these other idols in my house. And so you lose the family relationship. The emperor of Japan is a god. And so any Japanese Christian who says, well, I only worship the god Jehovah, well, what, you're not patriotic? You're not Japanese? You don't love the emperor? He's a god? 1994 and 1995, there was a sarin gas attack in the subways of Tokyo and, and those places, and uh, the lethal nerve gas uh, was, was released, and Japanese people simply looked and said, they're not Shinto, they're not Buddhist, they're those other guys must, they just lumped all Christians into that group, and so everybody pushed away, don't want to have anything to do with Christian churches. It became very, very difficult for the Japanese people to try to say, how do we reach out and witness? We, they won't even let their children come and be in our VBSs. And so it has taken decades to try to rebuild that trust and to show people that the Christians were not the ones doing that. And so Japanese Christians, they're accustomed to, if I become a believer in Jesus Christ and am baptized, my father might run an obituary in the paper and say, my son is dead to me. And I have heard numerous pastors that we have supported that say that's exactly what happened. One of them said, my father, I never saw my father's face again from the time I was baptized and became a believer and was going to become a pastor of a church. But you know, God worked in the life of his family because when his father died, his mother came and said, if you are so committed to your faith, that you would give up everything from your father and your inheritance and everything else. I want to know about this Jesus you serve. And his mom came to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So that growing antagonism in America is why I'm addressing our thoughts and our need this morning from Acts chapter 4. I, I want to share with you about achieving the boldness. 
because there are various reactions that some people have. Some churches are becoming woke. Now, I know I'm not preaching to that church here. They're, I read some articles about a recent poll, and it said 90% of Americans who don't attend church think the church is judgmental. And so they gave a bunch of ideas of things you needed to do. Well, I'm surprised it's not 100% because, yes, the church is judgmental in that we even sang this morning, there's an unfinished task We need to present Jesus Christ as a Savior for our sins. There's the judgment. Now, it was a number of years ago, I was a pastor teacher of of a church, and some of my college students were attending a Cal State campus, and they wanted to put on a presentation, and the dean was helping them from their club, and he said, well, you need to find, they wanted to put on a presentation so that they could present Christianity, but he said, well, you have to have uh, professors be the speakers at it, and so they found a Jewish professor, an Islam professor, a Buddhist professor, uh, they found a professor that was a part of the Baha'i, and they, they're, they're like everything, and they could not find a Christian professor on campus at the Cal State campus. So they came back and presented to the dean, and they got him to approve that I could be the representative of Christianity. By the way, what we once considered the majority religion of America, there were no Christian professors in that Cal State campus. And so I came to that uh, meeting that day. The moderator had a list of questions they were going to ask us. It wasn't really a debate. It wasn't intended to debate about uh, our uh, faith and our religion. But uh, he wanted to ask questions, and so we asked questions. And he got to one where he said, what does your religion uh, provide for the world? And so they started with Buddhists, and they went to Jewish, and they went to Islam, and every one of them said, we provide love. We provide love. That's what our our religion helps us. We're to love everyone. And a student stood up and he said, wait a minute, Jewish and Islam professor, you say your religion provides love, but you guys don't seem to love each other. Well, the two professors tried to mumble and stumble and go, well, well, we we like each other. We're okay. And, you know, there's people that is, is. And finally the moderator said, well, okay, okay. Let's, he said, let's have the pastor Wheeler, let's have him finish and we're done, we've reached the time limit, but he hasn't answered yet. Let, let him ask, what, what does your religion provide? And, and I said, my faith in Christianity, I believe Christianity provides a Savior. That God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and we have a Savior. Jesus Christ can pay for our sin if we will place our faith in Him. You know what? I suddenly unified all the other religions against Christianity. They stood up, one of them stood up and immediately said, these kids don't need a savior. You're offensive. You're offending these students, making them think that they need a savior. And I suddenly discovered, you know what? Those professors actually hate Jesus Christ. And that's the world that we're living in. And so this morning I wanna share four principles that are illustrated by the apostles in Acts chapter 4 that will help you achieve boldness in your witness and sharing. And to get into the context, I want to start in chapter 3. 
that's, that's what kind of sets up chapter 4. It's an event where Peter and John, it's very early, right after the day of Pentecost, Peter has preached his day of Pentecost sermon, but they are walking into the temple, and as they are walking into the temple, uh, they come to the gate called Beautiful, and there is a lame man there, and they see him, he's begging for money, he's about 40 years old, he's lived, been lame from his birth, so this isn't something that just achieved or happened in his adulthood. He's been lame his entire life, and he's there. And Peter, I do not possess silver and gold. That's true of almost every missionary and pastor. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And then the The song, I'm not going to put it in your mind because that's all you'll think about, but the man walking and leaping and praising God is healed. And that's the event that sets this up. And while, verse 11, while he was clinging to Peter and John, you can imagine this, this man that's been lame his entire life is now clinging to Peter and John and he's hanging on them. Peter proceeds to preach a message And some of the people are wondering what to do. And he says, therefore, repent and return in verse 19 so that your sins may be wiped away. That's his message. That's a message at the very beginning of the Great Commission to go out and preach the message that belief in the death of Jesus Christ can forgive us for our sins. And that's where we get, let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, and being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. That is beginning to happen to Christian people here in America here in North America and Canada. We might not have expected that. My field directors all around the world realize that at any moment I might be killed or put in prison for nothing more than I believe in Jesus Christ. They live under a constant death threat because of the persecution among them. But in spite of a powerful and a positive miracle improving the life of this lame man, persecution is what follows and they put them in jail. Now, now verse 4 says what happened outside the jail. Outside of the jail, out of the knowledge, I believe, of Peter and John, many people believe. In fact, in verse 4, it says about 5,000. That is a wonderful harvest for the Lord. That's Uh, The name of our mission agency is White Fields. It comes from John chapter 4, verse 35, when Jesus said, lift up your eyes, the fields are white already unto harvest. And that was a wonderful harvest of Peter's rather short sermon is recorded, but a sermon simply of repent and believe. And so then we reach verses 5 through 7. Now this is what happens. The next morning, without Peter and John knowing what the response to the message was, the next day the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Now verse 6 is very important because it names a lot of names. 
I've sometimes heard people say when they're reading through the Old Testament, they say we get to this list of names and sometimes there's a list of names even here in the New Testament, but these names are very important. Annas, the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. Now, you don't have to turn very far, but look back with me into John chapter 18 and verse 12. Because we're talking about boldness, and I want you to understand something. Sometimes when you are personally going to try to share the gospel, the enemy will try to bring things before you that will cause you concern and fear and intimidation. And here Peter and John are brought into this room with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. And in John chapter 18, verse 12 through 15, notice the same names. This is prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Look where Peter was. The Roman cohort, the commanders, and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. And Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. And Notice verse 15, Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple. And we know that that was John writing this gospel. And that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But notice where Peter is. He's standing outside at the door and the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. So he's in that area, Annas and Caiaphas, they're all upstairs, they've got Jesus, they've arrested him, they're going to take him to crucifixion. And notice the courage and boldness that Peter shows. Now you got to think about this. Just a little while earlier, Peter was in the garden with Jesus, and when the guards had come to take him, what did Peter do? pulled out that sword, I'm here, chopped off Malchus's ear, missed, I think he was aiming for something else. Jesus healed the ear. Peter has now made it to this place. And a very intimidating, or maybe we should say not so intimidating, slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And he goes into his denial of Jesus Christ. Peter and John are now back at the exact same place. Only this time, verse 7, when they had placed them in the center, they've surrounded them. I'm grateful here. The drummer's not here. No keyboard. I know nobody's behind me. I feel safe. But in the case of Peter and John, they're surrounded and they begin to question them. And they ask, by what power and what name have you done this? And Peter, verse 8, completely changed. He does not say, I'm not a part of Jesus. I'm not a part of him. I'm not with him. That wasn't one of me. No, you didn't see me in the garden. No, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers and elders of the people, he just steps right out and is going to boldly present to them if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, he's bold. He is encouraged. And they go on to wonder and look at him. I want to jump you down to verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence, New American Standard says, uh, there it is boldness. It's the Greek word parasios, boldness. Thayer's Greek lexicon says a free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage, boldness, assurance. That's the way Peter is addressing them. And when they see that, they recognize two things. One, they are uneducated men. They're commoners. They are commoners. But they notice something else. They recognize them as having been with Jesus. If you want to achieve boldness in your witness, even in the face of persecution, you need to be in the presence of Jesus. Now, I'm not decrying education. I've got education, spent many years in seminary. I know that you have others around here, but I want to bring this level of encouragement to you. You don't have to have a PhD in Greek or a PhD in Hebrew or a PhD in theology to be bold in your witness to your neighbors, to your friends, to your coworkers. You need to be in the presence of Jesus. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boldness comes not from our formal training, but from being filled with the Holy Spirit and being in the presence of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with formal training. It's just that the formal training is not what gives you the boldness to proclaim the gospel. The Apostle Paul, you'll remember, he did have a, a training, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul said this, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I also was with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power so that your faith would rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. That's where the boldness of witness comes. When your teams go out to proclaim the gospel, you're sending young people, and those of you that are business people, my parents were business people. They weren't the missionaries. I, I, I had no idea that God would place me in the position of being the president of a mission agency. My parents were the business owners that sent them, that wrote the checks that said, here, I want you to go on a mission trip. And those don't all have to be PhD. Some of those students and young college kids, it's the best place to get them out on the mission field where they encounter, wow, this is God working. And you're a partner with that. 
And there are other missionaries that are out on the field. They're not there because of their immense amount of, of training and education, but their power comes from being in the presence of Jesus. And I might ask you a question then. How can you be in the presence of Jesus? How does that work today? You don't get to walk with Him. Is that what they were referring to? No, I think they were referring because Peter had been walking with Jesus when he committed his atrocious denials in John chapter 18, but something different has happened. He's now filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, Jesus is residing inside of him in the Holy Spirit. And there was a complete newness of, of being in the presence of Jesus. Well, you can be in the presence of Jesus, one, simply by reading the Gospels. I have my daily reading plan. I read through the entire Bible once a year. I read through the New Testament or the Old Testament in addition to that. And every day I make sure I'm reading a chapter at least of a Gospel. I just want to make sure that my mind every day is remembering the things that Jesus did. The ways that He spoke to people. The ways that He at times had to clean out the temple, but also the times where He was just gentle and compassionate with someone. And I want to learn that and I want to exude that behavior out of my life. There's another way, and that is this. You, you should spend time in the presence of your pastors and your elders. I love to see, I was looking at the bulletin, there are life groups here. That's how you get into the presence of Jesus. You gather together, one another, and as disciples of Jesus Christ, you are putting forward the practice of, of living like Jesus. And by being together in that group, you are practicing that. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, simple, simple statement, he says, be imitators of me. You know, growing up in the years as I was first getting into the ministry, that was a hard phrase to, to grapple with. <laughs> there were times at which I humbly said, I, I, I don't know that I'm ready for people to imitate me. But as Steve mentioned, I have four children that have grown up imitating me, and they're all involved in their church ministries. It's just kind of a natural thing to them. They sing, they teach, they're involved. Because that's what we've done our entire life. And that's a part of what you, by getting your children involved in ministry here and having missionaries into your home, getting involved in supporting and, and, and helping the missionaries of your church, your children grow up learning and imitating you. And, and that's what Paul says here. Be imitators of me, just, he says, as I also am of Christ. And so a pattern is put into place in the church wherein the pastors and the elders and the teachers and the disciples they are learning to imitate Jesus and as you come alongside them and you are around them you get to see them interacting with them and watching them mission trips by the way are a great place to do that you want to know flexibility come on a mission trip I was uh, teasing, we were driving up the road here in my GPS. I, I don't use GPS in other countries. I go out into the wild, wild worlds of remote villages and the GPS said, turn right. And I looked and there's just a big dirt cliff. And I told my wife, well, in Africa, we'd try that. <laughs> it's, it's a little steep out there. 
But I love to drive along with our pastors in Africa or in Asia, in Myanmar, and they'll pull up. We've been driving on a dirt path. It's not too ruts, so there's no tires there. We've just been driving on a little walking path where they run goats and, and cows, and we've been driving on that for seven, eight, nine, ten minutes, and then they stop the van and say, well, this is as far as we can go. We walk from here. And we get out and begin walking, and 15, 20 minutes later, we finally walk into a village, and that's where they live. And I'm the first white man they've seen. My wife was at one place in Myanmar. We went back into one of these remote villages. We ended up sitting down and groups of people came and gathered around. My wife, through her translator, began to speak to a number of the women and they, all of their faces were completely tattooed. It was a practice when they were adolescent, uh, 12, 13-year-old girls, that people would tattoo their faces because it made them ugly to the marauding warriors that would come through and steal their young girls. But the local boys would still like them because they knew their hearts. Maybe, maybe we could try that in America. <laughs> no, no, don't. I'm just kidding. Don't. <laughs> He's not allowed to preach the second service. But their faces were all tattooed completely from, from forehead to, to chin. And my wife sat and talked with them and heard, asked them questions. What do you do for life? Well, this little basket, I go out into the forest. I fill it up with wood twigs and I come in and I sell it at the market. And people need little wood twigs to start their fires. That's how everything is cooked here. And uh, that gives me enough money to buy my food every day. And she lives by that. She goes out with her little machete. And my wife asks, can I take some pictures with you? And oh, they were very... And you know, women are the same all around the world. She immediately started fixing her hair. <laughs> and my wife got pictures with them and chatted with them some more. I came back several years later, and that lady was a member of one of our churches that had started there. And she wanted to come up, and she shared with me in the church service uh, a custom of singing your life story. And she was prepared to sing it that day. She was quite disappointed that my wife was not with me on that trip. But she proceeded to sing it to me because they said he'll take it home and share it with his wife. And her testimony was when she came to the point of meeting my wife, she said, if that woman would come that far to speak to me and to share with me, I should listen to the man that they're putting here to be a pastor. I don't know what that is. I don't know what a Bible is. I don't know anything about any of that. But if those people, if she came and treated me like that, I should pay attention to him. And so she listened and became a believer in Jesus Christ. That's how you can be in the presence of Jesus. We want to look at the next point. We're going to go quickly here. The next point is that you can come to boldness by knowing that you are in the plan of God. That's verses 14 to 20 here. We've read a couple of times now this morning, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that is another thing that changed the life of Peter and John because Jesus has walked with them for 40 days and He has now gone forward back into heaven. But before He went, He gave us Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and this is to you as well. Listen to it as though Jesus is speaking to you. You, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now we know that that was speaking to the disciples and they received the power when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. But you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. I was sitting one day and I was just thinking about this and I wondered, I wonder how far I am from Jerusalem. Where are the places that I have had the privilege of proclaiming the gospel? Well, I proclaimed the gospel in Rukinjiri, Uganda just, uh, just a month ago in July. I was there. We preached a little over a thousand people on the morning that we were called on them to repent from their sin. We had 78 people that came forward that wanted to receive counseling to put their faith in Jesus Christ. We divided them up with 20 of our pastors that are all starting new churches out in the villages and they took them away and and gave counsel to them. That's 3,377 miles from Jerusalem. That's kind of uttermost. Yangon, Myanmar, and around the Myanmar region up in the Chin State, that's 3,923. We mentioned Tokyo and the counselors that are going. That's 5,685 miles from Jerusalem. I've preached in Johannesburg and South America all over, and you can look up on Google search, find out how many thousands of miles. I live in San Diego, and I proclaim the gospel there in San Diego, not only in preaching, but also in my local coffee shop where I've had the privilege of leading people to Christ who were complete strangers to me over the course of a year. They got to know me simply because I sat with a coffee. They came in to order their latte, 2%, 3% for more foam and all that, and then they have to wait for that to be made. And God in His providence would just cause them to one day walk over and go, wow, the weather's kind of cloudy today. Oh yeah, you don't expect that in San Diego, do you? Hey, mind if I sit down? No, I don't. I've been waiting for you actually. (laughs) And they begin to talk and I find out one young man's an atheist and his girlfriend grew up in church till she was about six, but then there was a divorce and the church family didn't treat her mom well and they liked the dad better and they left church and she hadn't been back and we began to talk and talk and They were amazed that I traveled all around the world, thought that was great. And over time, the Lord gave the opportunity for me to say, do you have a Bible? Well, no, we don't. I said, would you be offended if I gave you one? I'm going to bring a Bible for you tomorrow. And I brought them both a Bible. Here's the way God's providence works. I bought a teal colored and a brown colored. I didn't know which one would want which. But when I brought the Bibles in, I laid them down. And you know what? The teal-colored Bible, Lindsay was wearing a shirt that absolutely matched it the exact same color. She picked it up and embraced it like it was a long-lost friend, and we began reading the Gospel of John together. That's 7,626 miles from Jerusalem. You see, God has put us in a place to proclaim the Gospel to the uttermost regions of the world. Consider as well that the apostles were a part of the plan of God and they knew it. And they also, by the way, I'm going to quickly hear, they were saying that they had to proclaim what they had seen and heard. You know, the, the people there, they wanted to tell them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus but they said, 
We can't. We have to proclaim what we have seen and heard. Do you have a transformation in your life? Do you remember what Jesus has done in your life? Some of you may have been later in life and you were a terrible sinner. And I have stories of terrible sinners that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Drunkards laying on the side of the road. One man came forward when he was a drunkard. I didn't know whether he was just mocking us. He ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ and became sober and has been sober every day since then. I had a seven-year-old girl that came up to me at the end of one of my sermons in Africa and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, Pastor Steve, I had sat down from preaching and my field director was closing the service and she said, I want to be forgiven for my sins. Seven years old, she was the pastor's daughter. I said, why don't you just walk right up there with the other people. And I saw Pastor Onesimus see her. Oh, tears started and then he quickly stopped. We had a wonderful afternoon of fellowship with his daughter as we clearly explained the gospel. Third principle is this. Boldness comes by using the power of prayer. Wow. This is a whole other sermon I've discovered. Verses 21 to 30. They come and adore God. They affirm as a tribute of praise that God's creating of everything. We've sung about that this morning. They affirm God's control when His Word foretold in prophecy, Psalm 2-2. And they understand in prayer that God is the victor and that God is sovereign. Nothing is outside of His control. Even the things that happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. The second principle there, the prayers asking from God. This is what they prayed about to God. They said, be aware, God, of the words forecasting the hostility towards us. And take note, they do not ask God to take away the persecution. I know there are people here in America and they're hoping that they can get the right people elected so that we can go back to having a Christian nation. Guess what? That's not going to solve it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they instead ask God, please God, make our witness true. And the petition for healing in particular as God works awesome things that amaze, convince, and assist people to believe. Now the miraculous gifts of divine revelation and healing, they were given temporarily in the apostolic era when they were writing this chapter of Acts for the purpose of confirming the authenticity of the apostles' message. But today, the Holy Spirit is still involved in building the church. And you will have times, just like I feel like in a coffee shop, a stranger comes to me and says, can I sit down? I think, this is a miracle that that stranger wants to sit with me while they wait for their latte to get made. This is an opportunity for me to proclaim to God. Here's the final point. This is quick. Boldness comes by having the right perspective. Having the right perspective. We sometimes think of Christianity like it's a sports event, like it's baseball, like it's football, like it's any sports event. Like if you fumble the ball, oh no, that's if somebody gets tackled, oh no, that's a loss. That's not that's not the way it works with God. Boldness comes by having the right perspective. We'll just close out that prayer in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. You know, I, I don't know. We pray quite often here, and I, I don't know that the place is shaken. 
Does that mean we're losers? Does that mean we're not really connected into God's power? Well, certainly not. We're not even sure what that meant that they were shaken. It might have just been an emotional response that they went, wow, Jesus was crucified and we're allowed to be a part of that suffering as well. And there was a tremendous thing with that. But they do say this, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. It's the same word that we've been looking at. And that's where they were at. Our confidence, our boldness is in the blood of Jesus Christ. So hold fast. Gather together. Stimulate one another. Encourage one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Oh, may it be that the testimony of Kindred Community Church will continue to spread and people will say that church boldly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come together, we recognize that we do not have strength in our own mortal bodies, our own human flesh. We have the light of glory shining out from us that is kept in earthen vessels. But Father, when we submit ourselves to Your will and when we are gathered together and are praying that You will work in our midst, when we come together with You and our mind is set straight and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can speak and proclaim the Gospel of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and Your Holy Spirit will draw people to hear those words and put their faith in Jesus. Father, I thank You for this gathering this morning and for our privilege and our opportunity to look at what Your apostles did going from being fearful deniers to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak boldly the Gospel of Your Son, Jesus. May we, Father, be like them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.